What's up, everybody? Happy Friday. It's your boy Dalton coming back with another episode of the Thinking Project podcast. I wanted to give a shout out to everybody who's listening, who's following, and a special notice that starting July, I'm going to do 100 for 100. So 100 lessons that I've learned over 100 days uh, from the podcast because I've, I've interviewed over 100 people. I've, I've been doing this for more than a year. And it's absolutely been a blessing for me. This is one of the greatest projects that I've done to date in my life so far. I've met so many wonderful people, got so many new connections, uh, and just learned so much. And I want to give back and share it. And and that's how I'm going to do that. So hopefully it's a pre-release for a book that will come out soon. But for now, catch it on LinkedIn and in my Facebook group. And today, Brian Clayton was able to join me for this podcast. He's the CEO and co-founder of GreenPow, which is an online marketplace that connects uh, homeowners with local lawn care professionals in all 50 states. Uh, GreenPal has been called the Uber of lawn care by Entrepreneur Magazine. It's got over 100,000 active users, uh, and they're completing thousands of transactions a day. And in fact, before Brian started GreenPal, he founded Peachtree, which was one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee. He grew it to over $10 million a year in annual revenue before it was acquired by Lucia Holdings in 2013. Uh, he was absolutely amazing. One of the biggest takeaways I got from this was, you know, that, that you just never quit, that you do one thing, you move to the next thing, you have an idea, you keep going. And, uh, I mean, I learned a lot from Brian. I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope you guys share the heck out of it. And without further ado, Brian Clayton, everybody. Welcome everybody. This is Dalton Jensen and you're tuning into the thinking project. Hey, let me get this set up. Um, hey, tell me, uh, tell me where you're at. Nashville, Tennessee. How about you? Nash, Nashville, Tennessee. That's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a happening town these days. Yeah, holy cow! What uh, have you always lived in Tennessee, or pretty much? Yeah, grew up around here, and this is home for me. And great place to start a business. Oh, I know it's a great place to start a business. <laughs> I've had a few buddies who who've uh, thought about doing that and we looked at it and I mean, there's nothing wrong with Nashville, Tennessee, as far as, as far as starting a business goes. Yeah. Yeah. No, no state income tax, relatively cheap to operate. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's people are finding out about it. Yeah, that's right. That's cool. So tell me, um, I know that we were talking, I I've been emailing back and forth and, and everything, but tell me like in your own words, what you got going on and what you're doing. Yeah. So I'm CEO and co-founder of a company called GreenPal. And so GreenPal is a mobile app that's kind of like the Uber for lawn mowing. So if you're a homeowner, you need to have your grass cut rather than calling around on Craigslist or Yelp or Facebook or asking for friends for recommendations. You can just download GreenPal and you'll get hooked up with a great lawn mowing service in a few minutes. And they come out the same day or the next day and come cut your grass for you. If it goes well, you can just book it for the whole season and, and it just happens like magic in the background. We've been at wow. this business for eight years and we're an eight year overnight success. So I got like 300,000 <laughs> people using the app, uh, doing 20 some odd million dollars a year in revenue. And so, uh, it's been a long journey, but, uh, but we've got some momentum wow. right now. Yeah. Holy cow. Well, I mean, I really like that. I, I feel like that's where the whole technology space and the whole kind of, uh, like service industry is really going right. Yeah. Like it's, it's really going towards like the Uber. I mean, there's an Uber for everything now, but the people who get it really focus on like the network and the relationships and like the ease of having to do a lot of this stuff. I mean, that's why we like Uber, right? Cause it's so easy. Like we don't have to mess around trying to call everybody for a ride. It's just, that's it. We're in minute one of day one of uh, push a button and get something done, you know, and yeah. 10 years ago, the idea of a DoorDash or Postmates or or Instacart or an Uber or a Lyft were just, were just you know, insane. But now they're commonplace. We expect them. It's one yeah. thing about the American consumer. The American consumer always wants more. And so uh, if you can figure out ways to make day-to-day uh, ordinary tasks simple as just getting on your phone and getting it done uh, – that I think there's 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 a future there, and certainly we've thrown all of our weight into making this one service as easy as just a few taps of of, of your screen. Yeah, where did the have you always been in the lawn care business, or or 
was this something you just saw a need and jumped on it? Yes, yeah, a very, very good question. Actually, before this, I had a lawn mowing business. So I started right. mowing yards in high school as a way to make extra cash. I was actually forced yeah. into entrepreneurship by my dad when he told me <laughs> to get off my butt and go go uh, mow the neighbor's yard. Luckily, he did because that stuck with me. I, I uh, mowed, mowed grass all through high school, all through college. And I, when I graduated college, I had to make a decision. So I going to go into the job market and take a pay cut or to stick with my little lawn mowing business. And, and, uh, I ended up building one of the biggest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, where I live over a 15 year period of time. I, I grew the, my landscaping business to over 150 employees, wow. got it over $10 million a year in revenue. And in 2013, that business was acquired by one of the largest landscaping companies in the United States. So when I started green Pal, I kind of was able to take all of the knowledge that I had learned about the industry, about, you know, things where it was fragmented and where it didn't work well and, and apply that to starting GreenPow and kind of start on second or third base. Uh, I didn't know how to build software. I didn't know how to design software. So all of those things I, I kind of had to learn as I went, but uh, I was able to kind of solve my own problem. And I think that helps when, when you're starting a tech business, particularly mm. you're inventing something brand new that doesn't yet exist. It can help to be, just be solving your own problem. Oh yeah, absolutely. I like that. I like that you said that. Like, so, because I've experienced that when I've started my e-commerce business. Like, we really did have to look at things uh, from like a different perspective. Because I started a CBD company, and at the time I started it, uh, there were a lot of unknowns. Like, it was the wild, wild west. Right. It, as far as like, get, could you even get a bank account? Who, what merchants could you get? And so we had to solve a lot of our own problems. So I really like that you brought that up. What was it like scaling the business for you? Like what what were some of the what were some of the things that took you by surprise when you were scaling like your first business and then and then GreenPal? Yeah, my first business, you know, was was very much hand-to-hand combat, blue-collar style yeah. of business. You know, it was one of those kind, ty- kinds of businesses where you work really, really hard and take every dime and put it back into the company. And if you do that for a decade, you can build something big. Yeah. And uh that was kind of how the first business uh progressed. The second company was, you know, when I sold my first company, uh I kind of retired. I didn't have to work anymore. And I thought, okay, well now I want to start a new business. And, and, uh, I thought, well, the last company was really hard. It was 150 plus people. It was was like organized chaos every day running it. Uh, that was hard. I don't want to do that again. I want to do something (laughs) simple. So I want to start a software company because that'll be easier. And, uh, boy, I didn't know what I didn't know. I I, I was very naive. I didn't realize Uh how difficult it was to, to execute on building new technology. And then also, uh, particularly when you're starting a technology type of product, you are inventing something brand new that does not yet exist. And just that alone is, is really tough. Uh, yeah. Because you you don't have a playbook, you don't really have a roadmap. You have to figure it out as you go, and uh, so that was something that really was like, confronted me in the first year. Was like, wow, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. But I had two co-founders who were just as crazy as I was, and we were willing to do whatever it took to be successful. We had that fire in our belly, still do, mm-hmm. uh, to make something uh, happen and make and build something big, and and uh, we just slowly kind of looked at it like like a video game almost like 10 levels and let's just focus on one level at a time and not worry about all the other stuff and and so we just we we set little goals that we knew we could hit you know we wanted to get 100 users to try it and then we wanted to get 1000 and we wanted to get 10000 and then like slowly focusing on little goals that we could hit progressively and then making it really simple for users to to talk to us so we could get feedback cuz only with that feedback did we know what we needed to build and those two things combined with just a relentless, consistent execution and, and also uh, driving the business off of the feedback of the user base is, is what enabled us to get through those early years, which were really, really, really tough. Yeah. When you're talking about a tech company, I think because in Utah, where I'm at, there's, I mean, there's a lot of tech companies. Like I work for a tech company, but, you know, big guys out here like Qualtrics, Adobe, um, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these big players. And that's the thing that I found when I came into like software was if it like, how easy is it for a customer to like use? And then how easy is it for them to get their questions answered? How quickly can that happen? Uh, That's like probably the biggest thing. Yep. And and if, and I feel like that's what you're saying. Remove all the friction for them to speak to you. (laughs) And yeah. make it really easy, especially like if, if you don't have a million users yet, then you need to be speaking to all of them and oh, you need to be speaking <laughs> really? to. Yeah, you really do. Oh, wow. uh, right on. 
Because in, in the early, you know, when you're inventing something brand new that doesn't exist, you need that feedback. You need that feedback from the first dozen, hundred, five hundred, thousand customers. So then you know what to build. You know where to yeah. take the company. You know, like, like you never, you're never at a loss for how to prioritize, you know, what things you're working on because you're always talking to customers and users. And, you know, it sounds like a simple thing, but the reality is most, most entrepreneurs don't do it. And uh, it's one of those things that you really have to do to get through the, the, the first stage of the game, which is just build something that people want, build something that people will pay for, build something that solves a problem for people. And like that free R&D department of your user base is, is one that you need to make it dead ass easy for them to talk to you. Yeah, I like that you said uh, the uh, the R and D department of your user base. So let me ask right. you this, because I agree, because I agree with you. Like, we are also brought to you guys by Monarch Social. Now, Monarch Social isn't just another social media marketing company, because they're going to take care of you on all your digital marketing fronts, from SEO to beautifully designed websites to custom videography. And if you want to know more about that, you got to check out the video they did for me uh, on the Thinking Project Facebook group. Um, because it was absolutely phenomenal. They absolutely killed it. Morgan and his team take really good care of you. They walk you through every step of the process and the communication is on point. So if you need a custom video, a beautifully designed website, if you need uh, custom social media ad campaigns, Monarch Socials, where it's at. They also have a podcast they release every Friday where they bring you a ton of value. So check them out, monarchsocialbrand.com, or you can find them wherever uh, you're on social media because they're probably there too. So check them out, monarchsocialbrand.com and get your digital marketing rolling. That's probably where you grow the most is when you listen to what your customers are saying, to what your clients are saying. Um, what was like the biggest shock for you? Like when you were doing this research, when you were talking to your customers, what was the, what was the biggest thing that they said to you? Like, like, was there anything that shocked you while you were growing this that you were like, man, I never thought of that or geez, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So when we first launched our first uh, version of the app, it was a total piece of crap. It didn't work. Uh, we actually didn't know how to code. So we paid a the development shop to build what we thought the app should be and okay. like launched it. And it was a total flop. <laughs> and uh, when we, what we were doing was we were, we were reading every book we could get our hands on around startups. And one of the books we read, it was a book called The Startup Owner's Manual by a guy by the name of Steve Blank. And he's kind of the uh, the 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 mentor of another guy named Eric Reese who wrote the lean startup. And what these two, oh, yeah. what these two books talk about in essence is um, getting that user feedback and baking that into how you build the product. And what they talk about is get out of the building, literally like as software entrepreneurs and, and business owners in general, you just kind of like want to get behind the computer screen and, and work and don't be bothered. Yeah. And, and the reality is, is like, that's the easy work. The hard work is you need to get out of the building and talk to the people who downloaded your app, talk to the people who tried it out. Cause only then do you understand if you're, if you're solving a problem that, that they care about. And one thing that, you know, we were able to hustle up a hundred people to use the first version of the product. And we saw the same feedback over and over again. They were, pissed off they didn't work, upset that the service provider like didn't show up on the day they're supposed to or did a crappy job or mm -hmm. they didn't get any quotes or the quotes they got were too high or, or whatever. Uh, and we heard all of these like like gripes about like how we f fell short of the of the promise, but we never heard this. Yeah. We ne we never heard I don't need this. We never oh. heard that. Yeah, and so okay. that for us was enough validation to keep going. We knew we were solving a problem that people would engage an app for and would pay for. And, uh, and then, and then, so as we started doing that more and more and more talking to as many people as that would talk to us and beginning to improve the product, we really thought that in the early days that we were building the flat out cheapest way to get your grass cut. And, okay. uh, I, I was kind of approaching this from a contractor's mentality because I'd spent 15 years in the industry as a contractor. And, and, uh, when you do that, you kind of get jaded. You believe that all the only thing that customers care about is price and, and cause you're always losing yeah. business on price. And so, that's what I thought we were building. I thought, okay, if we can build a competitive bidding system and people can get the best price on getting their grass cut. And after we talked to, to homeowners, we, we never, like, what they cared about was speed and reliability. They cared, yeah. like, did the person they hired show up on the day they were supposed to and did they get it done quickly and was it, was it reliable and did they just, like, could they push a button, set it, and forget it? They didn't really, we never heard this. We never heard well, I got somebody to mow my grass for 40 bucks, but I want to see if you guys can find me somebody for 35. We literally, out of hundreds of user interviews, never heard that once. Yeah, yeah. We always heard, 
well, my last guy who had been doing my yard for two years just disappeared and won't return my phone calls. I, he may be dead. I don't know. Uh, and so my grass is literally like four feet tall and I left a dozen voicemails off of Craigslist and, and nobody will show up to cut the damn yard. I need somebody to cut the yard. It's ridiculous. That was the problem we were solving. And we wouldn't have known that, uh, had we not gotten face to face and talked to hundreds and hundreds of people that tried the app. That's so crazy. You said a few things while you were talking that really, that I really like. The first one is what a lot of people miss. Uh, and I'm really glad that you brought it up because when I, I used to train like salespeople, I was in the automotive industry for a long time and there was a, there's an app called true car. Mm, yeah. That is. Yeah. Are you familiar with it? I am. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, everybody uses it. You go there and, and you, you look at the prices and we actually had the opportunity to go to a true car, like conference when like true car was first coming out and they were looking and, uh, be, because of their like data harvesting, um, and like their own surveys and stuff like that. They told us basically what you just said. They're like true car customers don't come to us for the cheapest price. They right. want, they want a fair price and the right car. Like yep. she, she was like, we didn't solve, like we weren't trying to go the cheapest route. In fact, yep. when you go on true car, you see like, you see like best fair and, and like bad pricing and the biggest belt, the, the biggest curve and the biggest letters and what they spend the most time working on is fair the word fair. And, uh, so, and then like Amazon, like I tell people all the time, I'm like, dude, you don't go to Amazon is not the cheapest place to get stuff. No, it really isn't. I mean, right? if you really want to, if you really want to put in the time, you can scour eBay and the open <laughs> web and, and save $5 yeah. on some shit. And maybe it might, maybe it may be yeah. fake and it may show up two weeks later. Um, but yeah, you go to, you go to Amazon cause it's <laughs> consistent, it's quick, it's fast. And, and yeah. Yeah, Uber is not, much cheaper in some cases more expensive than a cab but yeah. you don't have to call dispatch you don't have to haggle over like getting ripped off you don't have to like wonder how much to tip you don't have to like you know it's, it's like it's just easier it's consistent the price is in market right. but you don't have to like deliver the cheapest solution uh to compete yeah. you just have to deliver like a much better experience for everybody for the common man yeah absolutely i think uh and for as for as many people as i meet that talk about like price shopping and stuff like that. I meet more people who, who care about like transparency, like, like all the things you said. And so I really like that you, that, I mean, you started off and it, like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I remember you saying you started off trying to be the cheapest, but then you evolved into kind of like this. No, we're just going to be a service. Yes. That's, we thought that our value proposition was flat out the cheapest way to get the grass cut. And it was wow. only, when we talk to customers, we understand that price needed to be in market, but it wasn't sure. the value proposition. The value yeah. proposition was push a button, get five quotes back fast, read reviews, hire the one you want to work with. They come out and mow the same day or next day like that. Like it's not, cool. it's not the, the, <laughs> the cheapest way to get it done. And, and we wouldn't have known that had we not met and talked with everybody that would talk to us. Yeah. So, so for you, um, how did you go about, I mean, were you reading, were you like calling your customers? Were you, did you have at that point, like a customer success team? Like how did yeah. you communicate with them? Yeah. So customer success team was me and, uh, and, and my co <laughs> right on it. And, uh, and so, yeah, we would do that. We, everybody back then it was only 20 or 30 people signing up a day. Now it's several yeah. thousand, but, uh, okay. it was hell. It might not have even been that many. It might've <laughs> been 10 people a day or five. So okay. it was pretty easy. It was like, let's see what happens with this one. And let's call them, let's text call and email them and, and, and give them a, uh, we would give them a gift card to Amazon if they would, if they would meet us at a Starbucks or we would meet them at their <laughs> coffee table, at their house. And, and yeah. we did that hundreds and hundreds of times. No and, kidding. Oh yeah. And we would wow. take, we would, we would do user <laughs> interviews and we would just app, ask open-ended questions around like, how do you normally get this done? And, and, uh, and that would, that helped us also figure out how to market the business. And one thing we always heard was people would just search on Google as a last resort, you know, lawn care service nearby me. And, uh, that unlocked a key insight for us that we knew to experiment in Google organic search results is an obvious one, but we kept hearing yeah. that from people and, uh, and, and it began to give us the, the, uh, the confidence that we would could could throw the entire company's weight into that one channel because we kept hearing it from people. Yeah, so, well, yeah. I mean, you Google it, right? Like that's what I would do. Right. Like, and, oh shoot, I can't find anybody that Google it. Exactly. And so we no. we we got that validated with actual feedback from users. 
And, you know, you can't do this stuff, you know, when, when you're scaled, but, but the, 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 the thing is most entrepreneurs want to skip this step. Uh, mm-hmm. and you really okay. can't, you know, when you're inventing a brand new product like that, that initial feedback from users is how what guides your path to success. Mm-hmm. Uh, and without it, you're kind of either going to, mm-hmm. one of two things are going to happen. You're either going to crash and burn. It's going to be a miserable failure or you're going to get lucky. And yeah. you don't want to, you don't want to rely on luck because that's, that's, a, that's, you know, that's one in a hundred. Yeah. Well, I think what you said there, I have a, I actually have a question about something that you said, you know, you said, uh, when you started, um, you did all, you did all the communication, which I think is amazing. Uh, and, and what I, what I recommend all the time is, you know, just talk to people, right. Um, especially since I'm a sales guy, but then you mentioned like, it's harder to do that at scale. So at what point did you realize like you had to graduate from like, okay, now we've got this figured out. We don't need to talk to everybody. Uh, and then did you transition into anything specific from that or, or what did you do after that? The only thing different we did was after we got over a thousand customers using it on a weekly basis, we pulled back from the proactive solicitation of feedback to okay. more of a, of a reactive support-based um, uh, type of feedback. And, okay. and we still do that to this day. We still make it very, 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 very simple for both users of uh, size of the, of the transaction to talk to us because it's never done. You're never done with the product. You're always iterating and making it better and better and better. And so if you make it easy for for users and customers to hit you up, either be a live chat, phone, email, whatever, uh, then you're never at a loss for like how to prioritize the things you're working on. And that's guided us through throughout the entire eight years of running this business is we always know what the two or three things we're working on. And we always know like the importance of them and how they can affect the business and, and help the business grow. And it's the feedback from the users that guides that. Now we don't, we don't go and sit in, in living rooms anymore. Uh, we don't go to Starbucks anymore. Sure, uh, sure. But uh, we did, and uh, so we graduated. You know, naturally from that after about the first thousand transactions, thousand customers that we got, because okay. then we kind of had a good heuristic, a good rule of thumb. We kind of knew what we had to do, and then yeah, it was time. Cool. Like then it was time to get to work. Like uh, we knew, okay, <laughs> we we have these hundred problems. Here, here are like okay, here's the top five. And then let's just work on these two and then like rinse and repeat and do that for a long time. And then you, then you, then you can build a good product. Wow. That's great, man. Holy cow. That's really cool. So for you, you know, you mentioned like you've always been, you know, an entrepreneur, you know, your dad, your dad got you off the couch and, and made you go mow lawns. And, and I think that's really cool. Uh, so, but that was it. I mean, that's what you've done. You, you started out mowing lawns, then you built your company, sold it, and then you've done this. So, I mean, this has been your whole life for the last That's how it. many years? 20 years, 20 years of entrepreneurship wow, in, in one Holy industry, cow. seeing it from, from pretty much every angle you can see it from. And for me, you know, luckily I was exposed to business ownership yeah. and entrepreneurship at a young age because you know, it's the thing that's helped me make something of my life. It's the thing wow. that's helped me like have purpose in my life and and uh, create opportunities for people that work with me and are who, who are in in business with me. And that's a lot yeah. of fun, you know. Without the business, you know, my life probably wouldn't be near as interesting <laughs> or adventurous. Like the business <laughs> is the thing that that lends the storyline to my life. Yeah, well, that's really cool. I really like that. I mean, when because when you're talking about um, scaling a company, especially to, the, to those sizes, like, did you think? Um, I, this was one of the questions I had. You were talking about like your goals, you know, especially in this new company, starting at a thousand, you know, getting a hundred users and then a thousand. Um, how did you pick what goals were most important for you to set? Yeah, entrepreneurship is full of like uh, dichotomies and paradoxes, and so like one is like <laughs> think big but act small, and okay. uh, you know, like you have to have this big ambition, but you have to be willing to do like, especially in the early days, the grunt work. And so yeah. it's like, it's like, damn, you know, we want to have a million users, but here I am answering customer support tickets. I'm writing a blog post. I'm doing this, this shitty front end code. I'm doing, uh, I'm, I'm doing like customer research. Like, uh, like how am I ever going to get there? And so it's, and so you just kind of, what, what's worked for me is setting attainable goals that map to the big goal. And so for yeah. us, you know, the first year we just wanted a hundred transactions in a week. That's all we wanted. We wanted a hundred transactions in a week. And by the end of the first year, we got to like 67 and half of them were my <laughs> friends and family. So, and so like we didn't hit it, 
but uh, but but the next year we easily hit 500, and so we blew right past that. So it's like setting these little attainable goals because we knew if we could get 100, we could get to a thousand, and we knew if we get to a thousand, we could get to ten thousand, and if wow. we knew we get to ten thousand, we get to a hundred. So constantly like like think, acting small, having an ambitious goal, and holding yourself accountable to to getting small goals hit on on a yeah. on an ongoing basis. It adds up. It compounds. Yeah, I think that. It's beautiful what you said when you were talking about like you have to do like the the little things. You know, some people are afraid of those or some people think that they you know that they're a founder they put they're only a CEO on paper. You know yeah. what I mean because like because they don't want to do any of the little stuff. They don't want to learn all this stuff. And I talked to one of the first guys I ever interviewed in my podcast talked about this this idea that you know you you really I mean if you're not an expert in everything in your business you should at least know and, and be knowledgeable and, and be I call it dangerous in a lot of these things. You know you'd mentioned like code. Like did you write a lot of the the code for the for the product? Yeah my, my co-founder and I taught ourselves how to code no uh, because we, we didn't have any other option. We tried to outsource it and it, that was a flop. We we pissed away over a hundred grand doing that. And, oh, uh, and so, yeah, and so like, we were like, okay, we're going to be a tech business. We're going to have to learn how to code. So we taught ourselves how to, how to build software, design software, how to, how to wow. do things like SEO. And so, so wow. like a lot of times, a lot of times, you know, you hear this concept of work-life balance and, uh, you know, <laughs> trust the process and you can work sure, 40 sure. hours a week and be successful. And maybe you can, but I don't, I don't know. Like for me, it was like, yeah, there was 40 or 50 hours a week of work, but then there was another 40 hours a week of learning. Because you yeah. gotta be like eighty twenty good at ten different things. Um, yeah. The analogy <laughs> yeah, that yeah. that I don't know how I came up with this, but the analogy that I that I use is like old school Super Mario Kart. You had like five drivers, and every driver had their one specialty. Like like uh, <sighs> Bowser had a high top end. Princess was really fast off the line. Toad handled really well, and then you had Mario who was kind of good at all of it, but not really the best at any of those things. Yeah. And, like he was just an average driver and you like, you could like, you know, use him and like, you know, kind of not, you, you probably wouldn't win because strategically, I don't think he was the best guy to have, but, <laughs> but he was kind of pretty good at everything. And so, and so to like start a new startup, you kind of need to be Mario. You gotta, you gotta be average good at like 10 different yeah. distances. And, and then only then can you delegate these things to people who are smarter than you and 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 get people on the team and yeah. know what you're hiring for know know the kind of people you need know if they're moving the needle or not because if you don't you're kind of delegating from a standpoint of like abdication like oh I don't know how to handle this you handle it that's that never works and so you want to yeah. like say okay you know, even if it's just bookkeeping everybody hates bookkeeping but <laughs> if you do your own bookkeeping in the early days you yeah. know maybe the first year you can then hire a good bookkeeper and say okay I need you to handle the books. This is how we do it here. This is what I expect. Not, mm. oh, I hate bookkeeping. You handle it. it, it never right. Works. Good point. No, you really kind of have to know the 80-20 on all this stuff and, and know know enough to be dangerous. Well, yeah, yeah. And that, that's what I say. Yeah, know enough to be dangerous. Because I learned, like when we were starting a few, like I've been involved with a few projects, started a, a company. But the, what I've noticed is like, if you don't know how to talk to these guys, like especially IT people, like software engineers, like if you don't know how to talk to them and you don't know their lingo and you don't know like what you want, you know, like I made a rookie mistake of asking an engineer for something and it was like not even possible. He was like, yeah, everybody wants that. And I was like, yeah. oh, that's great. And he's like, yeah, everybody wants that because it doesn't exist. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I was like well, it, I'm going to have to relook at it. <laughs> and then either, 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 you know, you, uh, you're either going to make a bad hire or you're going to get lucky. And it's like, it's right. one of the two. And, and, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, you gotta man. get half-assed good at all this stuff, man. I studied, you know, I, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm not, I'm, I'm like, I'm a terrible coder. I'm a terrible, uh, marketer, but I'm at least good enough to like get in the game. I studied copywriting for an entire year. All I did was read books on copywriting, took oh, courses wow. on online cop on, on, on copywriting. So I could get good at writing the copy for all the interfaces and emails that, that go into the green pal product. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, you know, it's like, you got to do all this stuff yourself <laughs> in the early days to get it going. You don't have the money to go yeah. hire these experts. Right. Right. And yeah. And, and I think that there's something fun about just learning that and being able to say, like, I, I wrote the first part, you know, I did this, um, because I just, one of the things that like, I'm a sales guy. So it's funny enough, like I got my bachelor's degree in accounting and I'm a sales guy. Like, that's just what I do. And in sales, like 
one of the big things is like for management, right? Is I don't ever want to be the manager or the trainer that hasn't done something that, that I'm asking you to do right. uh, within yeah. reason. And so, yeah, if you're like hiring a coder, you're hiring these things like, you know, there's some, there's something very special and bonding about walking up to somebody and being like, Hey dude, I know exactly what you're trying to do. Like I need, you know what I mean? And then coming yeah. from that point. Um, and not only that, but then, but then you know what's going on, right? You, you're like uh, that you can pick up something that they might've missed or, or just really understand like how, how hard this job is. And and you mentioned one important part, like if they're moving the needle or not, because yeah. I know people who've hired marketers and they're like, it seems like it's working. And I look and I go in there and I'm like, bro, I'm not a professional, but I know that that's not working. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if and if you haven't tried to run a Facebook campaign yourself or an AdWords campaign yourself, and that's you haven't true. read like the three best books on AdWords, then how the hell are you going to hire an AdWords agency and know if they're doing any good? You know, like mm-hmm. a lot of these things, you just have to learn yourself. And one of my favorite books is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And yeah, what Dr. Sure. Stephen Covey talks about in that book is like self-confidence comes from private victories. And so if and so a private victory is like you doing the hard work, reading the books, learning how to do this stuff. And when you have that private victory, you can then go to that employee or that contractor, that freelancer and have the self-confidence and, and know that you're making a good hire or know yeah. that you're you're calling them out on their BS or know that you <laughs> cut them when they're not doing well because you have the private victory of learning how to do it. If you yeah. try to shortcut that, it's like a principle of the universe. And then you you know that you don't know what the hell you're talking about and then you don't have the confidence. <laughs> oh, for sure, dude. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, that That's such a good point. So, but, so, but you have built two very like extremely successful companies. Um, and, and what do you like credit it all to? Like, what are some of the things like, I mean, what's some of the stories that you tell people about how this all came to be? You know, 20 years uh, of entrepreneurship, looking back, a, a few things kind of stand out. And uh, the, the video game metaphor of just taking it down and breaking it down to 10 levels and focusing yeah. on one level at a time. And like the like, there's no one move on the chessboard that wins the game. It's always like a, a combination of many things gone well and done right and compounded over a long period mm-hmm. of time. Is is how my entrepreneurial journey has unfolded. And it's it's never yeah. been one where like there was this breakout moment and we did this <laughs> one thing and it was just like we just hit took off. It's cool. always a combination of day in day out, one percent, five percent improvements that add up. And, and you might think, well, you know, yeah, but I saw this company like, you know, get a nine figure exit in three years or something. And yeah, the, these outlying stories do happen. But what you don't realize a lot of times is like that founder, like crashed and burned two or three things before that company. And, and you're not you're like, and they took all of that experience and, and contacts and like muscle memory and rolled yeah. it into this, this, this thing that did work. So you're never looking at like three or four years of somebody else's success. You're usually looking at like 10 or 15 years. And, and so it, there's no shortcuts. You got to put in the time. You got to put in the work. You got to learn the stuff you got to learn. And, and you have to execute. And you have to be willing to do it for five, five, 10, 15 years. Oh, for sure. Yeah. In fact, I remember talking with another uh, guy on my podcast. And because you just brought it up, right? Like those nine-year exits or something like, like a really quick, seemingly overnight success. Right. Uh, they, they knew what they had. And, yeah. and I, I say that because like, because they, they missed on the first four or five, like you said, two or three. And I know some people who were like, it was like five or six. Right. right. Um, because how are you supposed to know if you have like a, a, a million dollar, 10 million, $20 million company, if you've never started like the, the, you know, the $500,000 company or you never, or you never mowed someone's lawn. That's right. To hustle. You know what I mean? That's you right. never like had to hustle. That's right. You don't know. And, yeah. and a lot of times is, you know, you can read all the books and you should, uh, and you yeah. and, and like mentors are good getting smart people around you are good, but you really don't know until you've been through it. And, and a lot of times, you know, that like experience is the only teacher and, and failure is a better teacher than, than success. And so a lot of times, yeah. You, yeah, like you said, they've, they've been around the block two or three times. And so they were able to move quicker. <laughs> like if I had to, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't start another startup. But if I had to, st- <laughs> if I had to do Green Pal again tomorrow, I could do in a year and a half what took me eight. And oh, yeah, for sure. I already yeah. know. I know how to do. it. I've been through it. Like, and so yeah. it's like these things. These things that you know you got to go through and you got to do the hard work and learn. Heck yeah, man. Well, and that's uh, and that's something that 
uh, is the one of the reasons of this this podcast is just to you know just to get people to start like that's all that like there's podcasts out there that are way bigger than me that'll teach you like how to like scale a ten million dollar company but my 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 podcast is like I just want people to start like I want like I love the stories that that you're sharing about like you know you just started mowing lawns you you know it's like you're like me like my dad kicked me off the couch like hey go. You know what I mean? Like, hey, if you want to go do something this summer, like go earn some money. And it wasn't because like my parents didn't want to support me, but I think they were doing more making me work and showing me the value of like what all this was worth. Uh, And and so my whole thing is like, I just want people to start. Like, just like, don't worry about all of this. You know what I'm saying? Get started. um, (laughs) And, and, and everything that's big starts small. And a, yeah. a really good book is is Warren Buffett's autobiography called The Snowball. And like you look at like oh, Warren yeah. Buffett, like as many points <laughs> time, the Russia's richest man in the world. I think he's top five richest man in the world, the greatest investor who ever lived. Yeah. Like this dude yeah. literally started with a five thousand dollar investment, or maybe even a five like a five hundred dollar investment. Yeah, it was, it was something real small. Yeah, it was little like, by yeah. little it started leveling up, leveling up, leveling up, leveling up yeah. over over decades, and and was and, right. you know was able to stay consistent and disciplined. And it's not. Like, it's like we can't all be like as good as Warren Buffett, but we can close right. the gap between us and Warren Buffett. And that Absolutely. gap is huge. It's huge. <laughs> but if you can close the gap in your thinking and your execution between yeah. you and how a Warren Buffett operates, you know, that's yeah. how you build compound interest. Well, and and what the cool thing about Warren Buffett is I you know, what what some what people miss when they talk about like finance and investing is like Warren Buffett was an accountant. Like he loved that stuff. Right. And right. The same reason like that, that you're in the position where you are, Warren Buffett is in the position he's in. And that's like, he found something that he loved to do. He found something that he was passionate about. Like yep. he only invests, like what I think, what did he say? He's like, uh, you know, he only invests in companies that think that he thinks will change the world or that have like real estate in people's minds. Like that's right. the one that blew me away. He's like, right. I don't really care about the product. I don't care about the service. He's like, I want, I want to invest in companies that have real estate in people's minds. Like, right. they, you know, Oh, Hey, what am I going to drink? Coke? Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I want to come exactly. home and have like a beer, right? Budweiser, right. Or so whatever. Yep. Right. <laughs> the thing we you can know? learn from him is, and I'm not like, you know, a lot of his stuff is, is simple and doable. It's, it's, it's right. just the relentless discipline and, and focus on st- doing the right things day in, day out over a long yeah, period man. of time. And, yes. and it does add up. The compound interest does begin to take hold. This stuff takes a long time. But on the other hand, you know, you can't, you can't just like spin your wheels for three years and, and not get anywhere and then wonder what happened. You got to hold yourself accountable to small goals on a consistent basis and progress. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's, the, that's the, the one that people, I think, need some coaching on at least is like, how do you know? And I mean, it's the goals, right? But that's one of the things that people think about is like, how do you, how do you know if you are spinning your wheels and if you're not spinning your wheels? Yeah. You know yeah. It's uh, it's the thing I see a lot is yeah. new entrepreneurs, this, this idea of the pivot and they'll just like pivot from idea to idea <laughs> to idea. And like, they'll yeah, do six yeah, different yeah. things in a year and they don't really give any of them the time and attention that they need. They don't do any of the real hard work on any of them to, to kind of birth them to life. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the other the side of the coin is that like, you know, you, you have to give these things time and you have to like, give them the, the, like the execution is, is oxygen for the idea. Um, one of my favorite mm-hmm. books, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. He, he, yeah. he says ideas are stillborn and it's the execution that, that breathes oxygen into the idea. And mm-hmm. so like everybody, mm-hmm. like you'll see this with naive entrepreneurs from time to time, like they'll tell you about, they want to like want coaching or want feedback. Like, Hey, uh, I don't, I'm afraid you're going to steal my idea. Or, I'm afraid, you know, I'm afraid, <laughs> bro, listen, nobody's going to steal your idea. Your idea is worth like $5. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All, for I, real. all ideas are worthless. It's the execution that, that brings them to life. And it's yeah. like, yeah. what does the execution look like in the early days? In most cases, it, it looks like talking to the few people using it using that feedback to make it better and yeah. figuring out ways you're going to get more people to use it. And, and that could be writing blog posts. It could be uh, going on Facebook marketplaces and hustling up the word about whatever the hell it is you're doing. It could be yeah. getting on Reddit. It could, it could be anything, but, but what it does usually boil down to is one common denominator. It's going to be hard work. 
Yeah. And, uh, and so you have to put this hard work into the idea for a period of time to know if it's a good idea or not. And I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs skip that step and they're like, oh, it, it, it just didn't magically break out. Therefore, I have to pivot. No, you really didn't do any of the hard work on the ideas. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really agree with that. I really like what you said there, too, because I've actually ran into that a lot, especially like there's a lot of startups here where I'm at. Um and the the idea thing is like, well, I don't really want to give away my ideas. And I'm like, bro, you can have all of my ideas. Yeah. Like, like, there are no well, secrets. Yeah, there dude, no I don't secrets. care. Well, yeah. because, and here's what I tell. I like what you said, right? That ideas are worthless. Like unless you actually do something with them. But what I, I just mentioned to people, I'm like, if you think that I'm going to steal your idea, you've done zero market research on what you're trying to do. Because right. like right. you, you're not the first person to think of this. I guarantee like, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guarantee you're not the first person to try this or do something similar. Like, if you think that, I, like, you shouldn't tell me your idea. And you should just go try and see what happens. Right. Like, because exactly. It's I guarantee you face. somebody else is trying to do it, has already done it. And the only way you're yeah. going to win, and I hope you do, is just better mm-hmm. execution. Yeah, better execution. Uh, some kind, you know, like... Uh, yeah, a better better customer service, better whatever, right? Something uh, which, better. Yeah, which all boils down to execution. But that that's always made me laugh. Is like I don't want somebody to steal my idea, and I'm like, dude, like it's it's already happened. Like yeah. people don't people, you know. And another thing that we we learned in this, and and I'm just bringing this up because it was actually one of the coolest things. Because if you go to the car business, like we like salesmen, if they don't know, they don't like true car. Like they think like only cheap people use it and all this stuff. But when you learn like actually true cars like Amazon and most people like don't care. They just want to be treated fairly. They want to be treated nice. They want an easy experience and they want the right car. If you got right. all that, it's really not that that big of a deal. But we also went um, and it was this idea that that uh, everybody like it's not about the money um, that people really value like their time. Okay, guys, we're also brought to you by Happiest. Happiest is your number one place to go for premium CBD products that won't break the bank. And I promise you guys that if you check these out, you won't be disappointed. They've got something for everybody. It's THC free, which means it comes with a work safe guarantee. Whether you need a roll on for your muscles and your joints, you need a sleep aid to get your day ending right, or you need uh, their number two that gets your day started right. Uh, they got something for everybody. Their quality, uh, lab tested, third party tested. It's all good. Go check them out. Happiestmed.com, H E P I U S M E D.com, and tell them that the Thinking Project sent you. If you can get all that, if you can line all those up, man, you got it. Absolutely, man. Like, I mean, you mm. look at DoorDash and Uber Eats. So, like, that's the most expensive <laughs> way to get a sandwich <laughs> in your house. Like, <laughs> it's flat out. Yeah, but I still, dude, use, yeah. I still, I still use the hell out of it. Yep. And like, cause I don't want to drive down there. I don't want to schlep down to the, to the place and get my food. I just rather show up. And so, yeah, no, I think mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. Uh, more and more and more, especially millennials and Gen Xers are, are willing to pay for convenience mm-hmm. and speed. And, uh, and like, I think we're all just kind of complaining about price because it's easy to complain about that. Oh, and, for sure. uh, yeah, yeah. And the other point is like, you know, you talk about in your, in the space that you have experience in people in true car. Like, I think, I think every business owner, entrepreneur, founder, even if you're not in the tech space, you know, if you're, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what business you're, you're running, you need to think like a tech entrepreneur. You need yeah. to think like a technology company because every business is going to be a tech company in five or 10 years. I think so. I think because it's, that's just where it's going like that. I mean, true car is a tech company. Like that's, they're not a car company. You know what I mean? They, right. they're, they're a software company. You know, they right. built a software that helps people buy cars easier. Right. Right. And that's the, and that's the thing. And yeah. And dude, like it, it really is. And I feel, I feel the same way. Like salesmen, salesmen whine and cry about it, but like, they'll take one. Yeah. They'll take it. Yeah. T- they'll take a true car, you know, a customer yeah. or whatever, a lead or whatever. Right. Because, uh, because that's what, that's what it is. And, right. um, you know, it's money because they built this whole brand around the fact that like, we're going to make it easy. And yeah. actually, and actually oh, I have a funny story about that because, uh, I remember sitting down with somebody, they knew I was in the car business. They wanted to build a piece of software, actually kind of like yours, where it was like, they wanted to build an app <laughs> that was like, we're going to show all the cars, uh, a customer's going to pick their car. And then, and then we're going to let like, three or four dealerships bid for that customer's business. And I was like, Oh, it's like true car. 
And they're like, like what? Like what? And, and I was like, yeah, dude, that app exists. I mean, like, if you want to, like, if you want to do it better, like, go for it. But I'm like, yeah. yeah, I've got like 50 leads sitting at my desk right now that I have to give out that, that, that are exactly that. Oh man, yeah, you had to break their heart. <laughs> it did. It kind of sucked because I like I knew the guy really well, and I was like, yeah, yeah, no, that that's that already exists. Actually, now, like now what he could work on is something that's like a piece of software that's better at taking those leads and scoring them, and a better CRM for dealers use or something. Like it's not sure, over. Sure, Sure, sure. Conversation is not over. Right. There's a place to innovate somewhere in the stack. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but you don't know until you get in there. Like you got to right, get in there. You right, gotta, right. You got to get working with it. You got to understand it. You got to live yeah. it. You got to breathe it. And that's how you get the insights. You're never going to be like from the outside looking in and yeah. just build an app and it's going to work. It's just never never works that way. That's so awesome, man. Well, so for you, I mean. Um, what are some of the things that you rely on to help you stay on top of your game as like a startup owner and as like a tech owner? You know, it's, it's funny, like, you know, eight years into the game, you know, where we started out really slow, it sucked. And now it's starting to be fun. You get 23 people working for the company and, cool. and, uh, wow, and cool. so it's like, it's, it's so easy. You, know, you can look back and say, Oh, wow, look how far we've come, but it never feels that way. It always feels like day one. It always feels like we have so much further, further to go. And so, for me, like what keeps me sharp is is a healthy dose of paranoia. Um, you know, like Mark Cuban says, you have to yeah, work right like on. like like somebody else is working ten times harder to take it all away from you. Like that's that's the reality of of the competitive market landscape. Like you have to continue to make it better and better, and you level up and you get sharper and you grow and and the team grows and and so it's like for me, like that little bit of paranoia uh, mm. helps. And then also it's, it's, it's like, I'm always like, I feel like if you're doing business well and right, you should be evolving and become a completely different person every three or four years. And like the, the marketplace should extract that from you. You should be reading books that are exposing you to new ideas and learning things and, and doing things differently in a way you never did them before. And that's what the, one of the beautiful things about business is that it's always causing you as the founder to level up mm -hmm. and, so that's something that kind of drives me and propels me forward. And, and it's one thing that I learned when I sold my first business, when it was gone, like I got fat, I got lazy, I got dumber. <laughs> I, I was like, shit, I got to do something different. And so I was like, for me, it's like by default, I'm always going to be working on my best idea. I'm always going to be driving yeah. the guts out of it. And so that helps take care of a lot of those internal conversations. Yeah. I, yeah. When you have something that you just grow and that's yours, you know what I mean? Like owning a business is, is very creative and you've got to find ways to like stay up on it and you've got to find ways to like keep almost like keep falling in love with it. Right. You know what I mean? So adding new things and, and stuff like that. How did exactly. you, uh, you know, we're almost wrapping up. Uh, you know, I, I really appreciate all of your time, but like, I, I'm curious on how you fought like all the doubts and, and maybe some of the, the naysayers, like how did you fight all that noise while you were running through these? Oh, yeah, there was a ton of it. Um, you know, in the early days, yeah. it was really hard. I had this crappy app. I had sold my business and started all over and had this crappy app. And I remember one time, like my best friend at the time, uh, you know, I needed people to use this damn thing because I needed people to like <laughs> give me feedback. And, and yeah. my best friend, like, I was like, hey, man, you know, I got, uh, you know, I've been telling you about this app. I rolled it out. I need you to use it to get your grass cut. And he's like, eh, you know, my guy didn't want to <laughs> use it. And so now nah, I'm good. I was like, are you for real? I just like, I've spent the last eight months building this thing and you're not going to like use it and help me out. Yeah, like, so, yeah. so it's like, and I'm not friends with that guy anymore. And so it's, it's, it's like, uh, there's all kinds of like punches in the gut when you're starting a brand new business. And, and like, you really truly realize like, if it's going to be, it's up yeah. to me. And you really realize that nobody gives a damn and you know, you, that you're going to yeah, have to dude. just have that yeah. fire in your belly. <laughs> to to see it happen, and I think yeah, you know, man. for me, like the, it, like there was periods where I had a chip on my shoulder. I really just wanted to prove I could do it, and that got me through some of it. Um, and then, like I mentioned earlier, celebrating the small wins. You know, we mm -hmm. knew if we could just mm -hmm. get a hundred people in one week to use it, that we could get a thousand. And so, setting those goals that map to a bigger mm -hmm. goal, but you know you can hit. And then don't just stay there. You gotta you gotta set the next goal, and you gotta hit it. Yeah, and you, you gotta, gotta hit keep it going. Too. Right. Yeah, so, you gotta like, keep going. You gotta keep yeah. going. Momentum creates luck. And so if you, yeah. if you keep moving forward, you'll, you'll get lucky eventually. Yeah. I really like the concept of momentum. 
Because yep. I really believe in that. Like once you get the ball rolling, like it's really hard to stop. That's right. You know what I mean? And, you and if you, yeah, you gotta keep it moving. And 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 like in the the video game metaphor, every level has its new boss. Every level has its new challenges. <laughs> and it's like you you know you're gonna have to you're gonna have to slay the dragon at the end of every level, and it's Heck different yeah. and it's harder. <laughs> and you just focus on one level at a time. Well, dude, yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. So, uh, tell people. So is your now is the app nationwide or is it nationwide, right now is yep. it just intent anywhere okay. anywhere in the United States soon to be Canada Australia and UK you can download Whoa. Green Pal in the App Store or Play Store no way so like yep. where's your where's your biggest users uh, in that one so uh, it's it's in funny it's, it, it's funny uh, our we have more customers in Nashville Tennessee than anywhere just because we've been there longer sure sure and, sure sure yeah yeah and yeah. so and so it's like it's funny it's like the longer we're in a market, the more users we get. And, and it's, and it's just like time, time is, is how we get the word of mouth out. And, and time is how, is how we grow in every market. But the main, the main big markets, uh, Houston, Chicago, Nashville, Tampa, Miami, those are big markets wow. for us. Um, but, but in every city in the United States, you can download the app and get hooked up with a great lawn mowing service. Like we're doing wow. transactions all over the place. And so it's, 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 it's like running water now, you know, it, it, cool. it, it, it works well and you can, and you can, you can buy sidestep the, the hassle of, you know, having the case of the disappearing long guy. That's so cool, man. Well, good. So you can download it anywhere. Uh, they can all get it, but I really appreciate you being here. Hey, my pleasure, Dalton. Thanks for having me on. Uh, if you repurpose this and put it on your website or something or whatever, let me know and I can help promote it. Yeah, absolutely. So I was going to mention that um, this will go out like I'm looking at my calendar right now. Um, this will probably go out on a week, a week, week and a half, like on, on okay. all platforms. Um, and then and it'll be on like my website and stuff. So I'll definitely send you the link to your podcast when it goes live and everything like that. Sounds great, man. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed hey. it. Yes, sir. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.